Welcome to Chew the Fat with Dan and Matt. This is your fortnightly podcast where we look at everything in pop culture, some awesome science, we go round the grounds in sport, throw in a true story or two, have a good laugh and look out for a wicked quiz. Stay tuned. All right, bro, we are back and we have been away for a while. Let's be honest. It's been a while between drinks. What's been happening? A lot to catch up on. Yeah, I'm sure our listeners have been wondering what the hell's going on with True the Fat, but you know. It's been a busy time. We've been in lockdowns and stuff, and uh, that's actually the craps excuse, isn't it, really? Let's kick it off with... <gasps> they say what? Boom! Let's dive into it, bro. Right off the top, like, a shout-out to um, Sister Melissa. She uh, sadly lost her champion, Hyla Terrier. Patsy. Patsy was a great little champion dog. Um, yeah. And she, I, she passed. I was totally amazed by Patsy's intelligence. She'd go, get your dinner, get your dinner. And Patsy would run to the cupboard and drag the bag of biscuits and drag them over to her bowl. I don't know how she'd learned that. It was pretty cool. Smart. She was just one of the smartest dogs I'd known. Terriers, you never underrate them. But she, yeah, she was a cool dog. My kids loved her. So rest in peace, Pats. What sort of dog was Patsy? Like, Patsy was a... A Highland Terrier, I'm pretty sure. Um, Westie? West Highland. Very cute. Little beard, little stubby legs. Beard? Granted. But stubby legs, watch yourself. Should we miss Patsy? Valet Patsy. Valet. Other feedback I got from a certain uh, nephew of ours was telling me that uh, on the waterfront... I could have been somebody. I'm just a bum. That was not a sport movie, he said. He said that's a disgrace for us to count that as a sport movie because uh had nothing to do with sport. You think you're God Almighty, but you know what you are? Come on! You're a cheap, lousy, dirty, stinking mug! And I'm glad what I've done. You hear that? I'm glad what I've done! Ed? Yeah, let's see if there's any actual sport in it. Ed, like, what the hell? And also, I noticed that uh, I called Tatum Channing, Tatum O'Neill. <laughs> no, I did that. That was me. Tatum O'Neill. I heard that back. was like, what the hell? Where did I go with that guy's name? I called him Tatum and Channing and <laughs> But Tatum O'Neill, wasn't she in, like, the Blue Lagoon or something ridiculous back in the day? Uh, that's Brooke, Brooke Shields. But Tatum O'Neill is, like, Ryan O'Neill's daughter... Kind of sort of a semi-famous actress. You know, her dad was big time, but she was like, yeah, she did little little darlings and paper dolls. I think she might have got an award for that or something. But yeah, Tatum O'Neill, not she would have done drugs. Not, as well. not Tatum Channing. Yeah, Tatum O'Neill. I got to take responsibility for that. I butchered that name, and I'm glad I did because I don't. I'm not a big fan of that guy, Channing, whatever his name is. Tatum Channing. Yeah, no, he's not. Fantastic. <laughs> what? <laughs> Tatum Channing. No, it's Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum. Ch- yeah, not sure. Now, bro, um, early doors. Early doors. I knew that you would look at early doors, but I did too. So what did you find out about early doors? It's a good call. One that people throw out there too much. And do they know what it means? Okay, for what I got for early doors, and probably came up first on your Google as well, was that... <laughs> 
in the old days when they used to go to the cinemas, you know, like before people had TVs and stuff, I guess, that there was a big crowd, you know, it was really busy and, and used to line up really crazy to watch the latest Clark Gable pictures. cinema. Yeah, the moving, pictures. the moving pictures. So you could pay extra to get early doors. So you could, like, avoid the, uh, the rush coming in there right. by getting the early doors. So you get early doors, you'd come in and you'd, you'd be able to go and seats. get the primo seats, pay a bit extra. A bit, a bit like... Uh, gold class. Yeah, gold class or, the, or at Club Bay View, you know, when you used to be in the in actual club, member of the club, and they'd let you... Mr. Lee would let you go straight past. <laughs> I used to climb up the giveaway sign. That was my early doors into Club Bay View, up and over the balcony. Well, I found something different, bro. Mm. My early doors, it's similar, but my uh, understanding, and I went down to many a uh, English bar to find out the uh, answer to this. I didn't just Google. Bit of research. Yeah, we've got a lot of expat poms down here. Um, Apparently, the English pubs used to close in the afternoons to clean out the vomit and dead people in the corner, and then they'd open, reopen in the evening, early doors. So you'd get there for the second opening, and you'd be there waiting it was all cleaned early out. Early doors. Yeah, it was all clean and you'd get you'd get in for the second session, early doors. <laughs> so, listeners, get back to us. Which one do you reckon uh, is the most likely to be true? They possibly both could be. Early doors could just mean getting back in early, getting in early. You might be too young to remember, but in, even in Perth, like on Sundays, the pub used to open at like some stupid time, like 10 o'clock on Sundays, and then shut at like 12 o'clock or something dumb. And then yep. it would open again in the afternoon, like at three o'clock till five o'clock or some stupid yeah. bottle shops and everything, and then start again like that. And that was a rule for ages. And then they went, what the fuck is this stupid rule? Do you reckon it's to stop people just drinking right through the day? And Yeah, but what the hell? Away from the family. Uh, if you want to drink right through the day, well, you can do it still, but you just load up at the 10 o'clock <laughs> true but i guess it would stop those guys just forgetting to go home i could have yeah. done that in my youth a bit i can't remember that but yeah that's the whole early doors sort of thing it must have been a hangover from the british sort of system yeah i like mine a lot better than yours also uh i probably downplayed marlon brando by saying he was superman's dad you know he probably had better roles than <laughs> Yeah, that wasn't his go-to role that he would have brought out at a dinner party, was it? Apocalypse Now, Kurtz. He was good in that. He kind of lost Godfather, his mind. Godfather, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Superman's dad. <laughs> that was on his way out, wasn't it? Just before yeah. he cocked it. That was just a little million on the side just coming. <laughs> he probably did quite well at the role. No, he's really fat. <laughs> <laughs> there aren't any good Batman movies, are there, really? Are all that's Ooh. where actors go to die. Danny DeVito. This is Superman, not Batman. Oh yeah. Oh DC. I widen. I widen the arc. I can. I can accept that. That's fine. Yeah. You know how I feel about DC. We'll head over to pop culture because we're heading that way anyway. By the sounds of it, and we're going to talk all things Boba Fett. Are we not? Book of Boba Fett, bro. Star Wars, Boba Fett. Yep, I think so. Yeah. All right. Let's get into it. Okay, it's time for Pop Culture. This week in Pop Culture, we're looking at a subject that's very close to my brother's heart, Star Wars. But I think we're specifically focusing on Boba Fett. Isn't that right, Dan? 
Yeah, look, as a collector of uh, memorabilia, I, I, you know, I wasn't a memorabilia collector. I, I just bought all the Star Wars figurines and we played with them, made up uh, a lot of scenery, and we always used to use the bounty hunters. So we're going to focus on the bounty hunters. They're by far the coolest characters in Star Wars. I think that most people would agree with that. And I'm going to throw to a scene from Empire Strikes Back. You've got bounty hunters standing around. Do you remember this scene, bro? They're kind of standing mm-hmm. up on a platform for some reason. Yeah, I think that Darth has uh, called them all together to hunt down the Millennium Falcon, maybe. Yeah, they're after Han Solo. Darth walks in and looks at them and says, I want them alive. No disintegrations. To which Boba Fett says, as you wish. Which is one of his four lines in the entire original three movies. Six wow. minutes. 32 seconds is all he had and four lines. And I think that's, of course, why he's one of the most popular because less can be more. He's mysterious. In that lineup, there was Boba Fett, IG-88, who you yep. remember, bro. Mm-hmm. Bosk. Bosk's feet kind of curled over the edge. Yeah, he had these that's claws. Right. And the guys of the Death Star crew, little nerdy blokes with the big black hats, were like, "Oh, the bounty hunter scum. They think they could handle it. And then Bosk is like looking down at one of them, like wanting to eat his face off. Bounty hunters. We don't need that scum. Yes, sir. Those rebels won't escape us. Look <laughs> Sir? have a priority signal from the Star Destroyer Avenger. Right. There will be a substantial reward for the one who finds the Millennium Falcon. You are free to use any methods necessary, but I want them alive. No disintegration. As you wish. Lord Vader. My Lord. We have them. So IG-88, of course, we, we see him in uh, Mandalorian. Yeah, and then um, Disney Plus. He was one of the probably my least favourite figurines because he was this long metal or plastic, skinny, looked pretty useless. Mm. But if you watch uh, Mandalorian, he's probably one of the best bounty hunters there is because he yeah. was unstoppable. I don't know if that was IG-88 or like a version. I guess it was him. It was. Uh, just have to jump in there, boys. This is uh, George, George Lucas, big fan. Uh, but it was actually not IG-88. It was IG-11. IG-88 was destroyed on Bespin by Fett in retaliation for attempting to track Boba Fett. IG-88C and D both engaged him in orbit over Tatooine and were destroyed. Uh, sorry, but yeah, IG-11. Same kind of guy, you know, different bounty hunter. Check your facts, boys. Big fan. Keep up the work. And I've got yeah. an interesting fact about that. You know, he was played by uh, Takia Wahiti or whatever, and he's a director of Guardians of the Galaxy, um, Hunt for the Wilder People. He actually played yeah, the yeah. character in the episode. What, the, vo- the voice? Yeah, how do you play a robot? Yeah. He was all spinning arms and he was in, like incredible dead-eyed dick with his laser guns. He was very good. Bosk is a he's a Trandoshan. Trandoshan. You see a lot of those in Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett, the Trandoshans, the kind of reptilian. They seem to be everywhere. Is that like uh, spin-offs? Half man, half fish, like trans sort of something, like uh, LBGQ. Yeah, sorry, Matt. I'm just going to have to jump in again there. This is uh, George, George Lucas. Bosk is a Trandoshan. Dan's right. A race of bipedal reptilian aliens from the planet Trandosha. You know, they're known to be great hunters. Young Trandoshans go and hunt across the galaxy as a rite of passage into adulthood. Bosk is also famous for his Wookiee hunting skills, and he was a vital part of quelling the Wookiee uprising during the Imperial era. Please, guys, check your facts. Big fan. So you had Bosk, you had IG-88, you had a guy called Zuckus. Oh, now I know you guys aren't going to know this one. Sorry, I'm just going to have to jump in. George, George Lucas. Zuckus is a gand, an insect-like species from the planet of the same name. 
Because they need to breathe ammonia instead of oxygen, Gans are forced to wear respirators outside their planet. Zuckus is also a finesman, which means he possesses mystical tracking skills and is able to find prey easily. It's possible his powers are related to the Force, and he might be slightly Force-sensitive. And Forlom. Ah, George, George Lucas. Forlom is a protocol droid built with insect-like features. Due to a flaw in the Forlom series, he was able to override his original programming, becoming a galactic thief and bounty hunter. Cold and calculating, he specialises in anticipating his prey's movements. He worked together with Zuckus, and they managed to capture various high-profile bounties for the Hut Clan. Uh, not sure if I'm a big fan anymore. Are they pistachio nuts, Matt? And then Zuckus and Forlom, they kind of were both insectile-looking guys. I think Forlom's got the big eyeballs like a fly, and Zuckus was this disgusting insectile-looking dude. And then there's the guy with the um, headband. The bandana r- thing, yeah. Yeah, like bandaged eye. He's been obviously badly hurt. Quite a fat guy, like in a brown, really bad outfit. We had his action yeah. figure, didn't you? Yeah, I had him. I don't, I don't remember Zuckus. Uh, you didn't have those guys, right? No, I didn't have Zuckus. I, I had Forlom, though. He was a silver one with bigger uh, fly eyes. Was um, Guido a bounty hunter? Yep. Guido was a bounty hunter. Was he there in that meeting? No, it was just those guys I mentioned. So, Dengar was the guy. Dengar. Mm. Dengar. Oh, for fuck's sake, boys. Seriously, I'm not going to let you butcher Dengar's reputation too. Dengar is a bounty hunter from Karelia, Han Solo's home planet. Before he became a bounty hunter, he was a gladiator. He enjoys flirting with women and thinks very highly of himself and his skills. Along with his blasters, he uses smoke grenades and a fire blade. During the Clone Wars, he was a member of Boba Fett's syndicate, but at some point he disappeared, perhaps due to an injury. I think he may have pissed Boba Fett off. Sometime later, he began working for Jabba the Hutt. I'll have some of that uh, beef jerky there. Thanks, Matt. So there's there's backstories on all these guys. Like, that's the good thing. You could do, you know, it's there. They've already got the full-on backstories of those bounty hunters. But it was a great scene. Uh, one of Boba Fett's few lines, but they're all there. They're all, you know, being called on by Darth Vader. A bounty put on Han Solo's head. What happens is um, Bob is smart. He sees them go out with the rubbish when they exited with the trash, Han and the gang. And so he waits and he sees the others all took off and went looking for him. Bob hung back and got on their tail. Of course, he was the one that delivered him to Darth yeah. so successfully. One of the great sci-fi characters of all time, really. And uh, like you say, four lines. How did he manage to create this character? Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, 1978, Empire Strikes Back. He had the T-visor, of course, which was really distinctive, and a poncho like uh, Clint Eastwood. He even, when he walks, if you listen carefully, it sounds like he's got spurs. So he had a real Clint Eastwood feel about him. Western, a lot of this stuff was uh, sort of taken from the Westerns, Good, you know, the good versus evil. A lot Cantanas. Of, uh, yeah, desert. I think that's a lot of the uh, attraction. Originally, he first appeared in a holiday special cartoon yes. um, before Empire Strikes Back. It was like they thought that, you know, this is maybe going to work, Star Wars, maybe it won't, but we'll do this cartoon holiday special. So he first appeared as a cartoon character, and then Vader and Boba Fett went on to a parade before the release of that special and the crowd just loved Boba Fett they hadn't even seen him and he just walked down this street with Darth Vader the crowd just went nuts for him it was originally Dwayne Dunham who was just a technician that was on set and happened to fit the suit of Boba Fett they realized he had a fan base before he even was in the movie and his suit originally they made the suit and they loved it but they were going to do a hundred of them they were going to be super troopers like an upgraded stormtrooper. So they did a, what do you call it when you have the first original one? Prototype. That's the one, bro. Prototype. And they were like, this is awesome. I love it. It was white. 
and it was going to be a super trooper and they wanted a hundred of them, but then there were budget cuts and they're like, no, we can't actually afford this, but we're not going to throw that suit out. It's awesome. So let's make him into a bounty hunter. George Lucas just said, nah, keep that. It's awesome. I want you to go away and make it look like a bounty hunter. So this guy just painted it and scratched it and messed it up and dragged it through the dirt until it became Bobber. And so, yeah, it was originally, thank God for the budget cuts, became this um, iconic, legendary character who eventually, Jeremy Bullock, a British actor, played um, Boba Fett. So the technician got the ass because he's not an actor. Jeremy Bullock had the mannerisms down pat. He did a lot without saying much, the way he held himself. Yes, Dan. Very accurate. Thanks for that. This is George. George Lucas. Got to fly, boys. Keep up the good work. I'm going to take you back a bit there because I did challenge you to watch the uh, Star Wars Holiday Special. Uh, I set it down to you because I knew you were a fan. And this is actually canon. This is like between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. So Star Wars was a big hit. All the stars agreed to do this Holiday Special. And this was a big deal, the Holiday Specials, like a variety show sort of thing. We're talking what year? 19... 80s or 78 was Empire Strikes Back just before that, yeah. And, uh, you know, it was like Donnie and Marie variety show that had the Brady Bunch variety hour and like, all this sort of crap was like it was big. And someone convinced them, oh, we need to do a variety show. Oh no, they still gay jokes without me. So I did this holiday special, and uh, George Lucas apparently had nothing to do with it, didn't realize what was going on. He's just okay to it, yeah, okay to it. And had Han Solo, had it was focused on Chewbacca's family back on their planet. They also had Carrie Fisher, had Mark Hamill, all went back to do it because they're not big stars at this point. It was unwatchable, really, wasn't it, Dan? Like, uh, I sat through it as Chewie's family, and they're waiting. For Chewie to come home. It's just like, they didn't even have subtitles, did they? No, it was just it, this really weird family scene where the kids asked, you know, the baby Chewie's asked to go and take the rubbish out. And it just went on and on with his grandpa. I mean, you. The outfits were quite convincing. It wasn't that cheesy, but just, yeah, you were expected just to know what they were mumbling and it just went on and on. I didn't get past that scene. I had to pull out. I was like waiting for the stormtroopers to come and kill them all. Well, the stormtroopers did come. Do they? They Yeah. Yeah. And I I can't remember what the kid's called, like Scratchy or something, and he has to go back to his room. Scratchy. And he eventually, while the stormtroopers are raiding the whole place, yeah, he watches a cartoon and that's the Boba Fett cartoon. He puts it on. Ah. And right. uh, um, in that, in the cartoon, I watched it. Boba Fett pretends to be friends with Han Solo and maybe Luke. And he basically turns them over to, to the Empire. Yeah, he's a bit so, of a flip flopper. Yeah. But yeah, it's actually part of the Star Wars canon. Carrie Fisher, who looks suspiciously off her face for most of the appearances in it because they sung songs and they, oh, it's just terrible, you know, what they ended up doing. There's there's like a 15-minute section of just this guy singing and I don't think he's even anything to do with Star Wars, but it's just like horrible. It's almost like they just had this massive time slot to fill and they just filled it. There's no sense of moving things along back then. It's like the studio said, oh, I've got this really great idea. This, we just need to do this. Carrie Fisher famously said that she'd, she had a party, you know, and people stayed too long. She'd put that show on and people would leave. <laughs> well, as I say, I didn't get past the opening scene. It just went on forever. So check it out, people. Star Wars Holiday Special, you can get it on YouTube. Not many other places, but that's Star Wars canon. Watch it. Yep. Love it. Hate it. 
So we're going to jump in a bit to um, the book of Boba Fett. This is a new Disney Plus show, so people who are not on Disney Plus might not understand what we're talking about. And they have new Star Wars shows that are kind of movie quality, high quality, and they have pretty big stars in them as well. I'm loving it, really. Yeah, and the good thing about Mandalorians, going back to that, they did different directors for every episode, which is really interesting, mm. but it still blended really nicely. For me... Tatooine was one of my favourite parts of the Star Wars trilogy, being in Tatooine and looking at the goings-on of Tatooine. So I don't think they did it justice when they went back to it in the uh, the sequels, which were actually prequels. Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett, I think, do it really, really well. They do it justice, and you get to see all those old characters again and the old settings. There's a lot of diverse theories and opinions on it. Some people don't like it. So it starts off where Boba Fett escaped from the Sarlacc pit, which is weird because I actually knew that happened. And I was telling anyone who had listened to me that he actually survived because I read a short story. Mm. There's some really good books where they have offshoots of stories that would have happened around the time of Empire Strikes Back and Star Wars. Called Star Wars from a certain point of view and... Empire Strikes Back from a certain point of view. Check them out. Great reads. And, and comic books uh, as well. The offshoot stories are fantastic. And there's all these things have already been written and created. Yeah, and the animated stuff like Clone Wars and The Bad Batch, they're actually all canon. You've got a lifetime, seasons of these cartoons, if you can get your wife to accept the fact that you're sitting down watching cartoons for three days. <laughs> In the show, Book of Boba Fett, he, he uses his backpack to get out. But he gets out and uh, gets... In with the sand people. The Generally raiders. bad people. You know, touched on in the original movies, but you never really got a good look at them. But it's awesome. I love the Tuscan Raiders in Book of Boba Fett because you just get to learn how they actually exist out in the desert, which is really interesting. And he falls right in with them. So for me, that was a big part of it. He spoke a bit much, Boba Fett, for a lot of people. And he lost a bit of that charm. He takes his helmet off probably too much. Of course, uh, the actor is uh, Jake the Muss, mm. which is uh, makes sense, of course, because that's where all the clones came from with Django Fett. What's his name? Tamura Morrison or whatever? Yeah. Like yep. He himself tried to cut lines as he was doing the role. He thought, I'm speaking too much. This is not, you know, this isn't Boba Fett. Hey, Favreau, have you fucking watched Star Wars, bro? So he wasn't happy either but they kept making him talk. The only way that's kind of made sense was that he did almost die and then was resurrected by these sand people, which made him change. Yeah, and he, and he lost his armour, didn't he? Yeah. So he couldn't yeah. hardly cover his face anymore. But if we still didn't know who he was under there, it would make it a better show, wouldn't it? Yep, I think so. They might have made him speak a bit too much. But thumbs up for me. And you were talking about the bullet hole in, you mentioned that, in uh, Boba Fett's helmet. Or well, the ding, yeah, it's not a hole. Yeah, it's got a, like a No, dent. it's not quite a hole. To dent, and that was uh, apparently Cad Bane shot him mm. in the head. And Cad Bane makes a great appearance. He's this evil Spoilers. hunter as well. He's got a big sombrero, cowboy hat, red eyes. He doesn't have it in this show, but apparently he shot Boba Fett in the head at some stage, possibly in like a shootout contest where they had this like um, quick draw contest, and Boba got shot by Cad Bane but survived. It's a bit of history there. But Cad Bane definitely makes a fantastic appearance in uh, 
book of Boba Fett. Final scene, there's a shootout, which, you know, I hate shootouts generally. They annoy me, but it was a really quite a good shootout scene. Some notable mentions, the Scorpion droids come into it. Really cool Scorpion droids. You remember those, bro, rolling through the mm. town and they were really cool. And, of course, the Rancor. I loved the Rancor in Return of the Jedi, you know, in Jabba's palace. It was underneath his throne. Yeah, Luke and, got his head stuck in the gate and killed it. That's right. And the Rancor Keeper was crying. One of the great scenes, really, in Star Wars. And it was great to see a bit more history created of the Rancor. And there's a nod to King Kong, really, in the in the show at the end where the Rancor climbs up one of the buildings. It's kind of like King Kong, but really cool. So a little hat tip to King Kong. For me, a real thumbs up. I'm a massive Boba Fett fan. The Sand People stuff was amazing. It wasn't too cheesy. There were characters like Cobb Vanth, like the sheriff, Chris Santon, this bad Wookiee. Yeah, I loved him. He was fantastic. Crossover with Mando and Grogu, who we love. Fennec Shand. She's the uh, offsider who's, who's also in uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and She's fantastic in it. Awesome. Fennec Shand, really believable. Cobb Vanth is fantastic as the sheriff. Played by Timothy Oliphant. And then, you know, you've got like Hammerhead as the mayor, the Ithorian mock yeah. Shires. You've got all your tuxes. Was, was he a, a, a bounty hunter as well, Hammerhead? Yeah. Yeah, Not obviously not that one. Yep, he was. One of his species. He used to wear those. Yes. That weird little one-piece bathers. <laughs> he did. This is not the greatest outfit. And then you had weird stuff. There's things called Twilex, which is like Bib Fortuna. You know, he's got the yeah. tail, tail heads is what they call them because it's kind of a put down. And there's a bit of confusion. There's a Jedi Ahsoka, I think her name is. Mm-hmm. She's also Gamora. Uh, actually, bro, Ahsoka is played by Rosario Dawson, whereas Gamora is actually Zoe Saldana, who I have a bit of a crush on. Excuse me? Uh, sorry, wife. <laughs> yeah, she. so she's not a Twi'lek. I think she's called a Shilly. It's a different species. Still got- they look very similar. Yeah. Tailheads, both the tailheads. But the Twi'lek is Bib Fortuna and the Jedi he, Osaka. He took over after Boba Fett got killed, right? Yeah, he became boss. And Ahsoka is not a Twi'lek. She's a Shilly. The mods, they brought in these modifications was a new thing. This is, to me, a little bit of the downside of the show. I didn't like the mods. Bro. What, what are the mods? The mods. The mods were those guys that rode around on the colourful scooters. Oh, no, no, I didn't like them at all. That was really bad. They're like the modern-day Wiggles or something, weren't they? They like yeah. all, had a different colour each and they're like just wimpy-looking. six rear vision mirrors on their little scooter thing. Like, it was like, you know what, if there were people like that, we would have seen them in the other movies. There was nothing to give any indication that that was a thing in the original movie. So why go off on that weird tangent? Yeah, they just and didn't do not- some stupid scootery gang of teenagers. Yeah, they just didn't seem at all threatening, did they? They just just had nothing. Nah, they were pathetic. So that was a real cross for me. They shouldn't have put them in there. But it's almost like they're saying, "Oh, we need something for the kids to like relate to." Techno kids. I don't know. It was really yeah. Bad. And Bobber went up to them, gave them a job, and said, "Okay, you can work for me." You know, and That's but he awesome. should have said, "Just spray paint those things grey." <laughs> Exactly. Get an outfit. Yeah, they were lame. Yeah, you know, Bob was a little soft, but you, you had to just wear that because 
he'd been through a lot of stuff and the mods were bad they were just awful there was a scene where everyone was running down the street when they could have just ducked off to the sides if you look at the final scene it's like why the scorpion droids are shooting at them and everyone's just kind of running down the middle of the street i'm like why why didn't someone say that's ridiculous as if you just keep running in a straight line down the main street when you can duck off and save yourself stuff like that really shits me i don't know why that stuff gets through editing someone doesn't say something because i know john favreau is like a diehard fan and he's even got a super nerd on set who just says nah that wouldn't happen or yeah you sandman this is what he'd be wearing over his arm or so yeah <laughs> which is what a job that would be a star wars super nerd on set that has the last say as to how things go but yeah it's disappointing that stuff like that got through mm. and that you know, John Favreau would let the mods gang go in there when it's just not necessary. And on Favreau, we've got to say that, like, you know, the Star Wars stuff before this, the movies, you know, they haven't been that good, have they? Like, uh, totally I disappointing. Bear some of those Last Jedi ones and stuff. No, they're horrendous. And uh, really? and Favreau's just gone. This is what people want to see. They want to. Yep. They want to see the species there. They want to see the same aliens that they're used to. They want to understand sand people. They want to see more Jabba the Hutt. They want to see yeah. all these characters that they loved in the originals. They don't They don't want to see buddy-buddy bullshit. No, no, Mr. Stay. Mr. Kodjaja Binks. Mr. Your humble servant. That won't be necessary. Oh, but it is. It is demanded by the gods, it is. Over the love of God, fuck off, Jar Jar. I, I totally agree with that comment. It, it's like they ploughed forward and made all these different new species with, like, uh, you know, Jar Jar Binks and crap like that. They kept pumping them out, whereas they didn't need to. They were all there, and now they've Miso, recognized that. Miso, <laughs> Go back and use the ones that were already created brilliantly. And they have. The Jowers, the Sand People. Yep. Uh, he went back to everything, didn't he? Like, he, there was Bosks, there was a whole kind of group of them, wasn't there? And, uh, yeah. What are they, the transsexuals? Trandoshans. Yeah. <laughs> Trandoshans. Radians. That's Greedo's group, the Radians. You know, it's all there. And, I feel like he's almost a brother in that he's, mm. you know, he knows what we, what we want. Like, so the rancors, I mean, to brilliantly just to bring back another rancor. Oh, we caught this rancor, you know, and actually yeah. quite sensitive creatures, aren't they? Which is just crazy. Yeah. And, you know, Boba Fett, weirdly, has got a bit of a soft touch for animals. He seemed to befriend a lot of animals, including the bantha. Oh, hilarious that in the cartoon that you watch, he rides a really big dinosaur-type creature. Huge. Yeah. Boba Fett. When he's talking about the Rancor, the guy says, oh, you're going to be able to ride it? He goes, I've ridden much bigger beasts than this. And I'm thinking, that's, he's referring to that stupid cartoon where. Yeah, right. So that's the sort of, that's normally how much work he does in crossing his T's and dotting his I's as these offshoot shows. Yeah, to me, they're artistic. They really are. He's made a great effort to make them just pieces of art. Even to the stills at the end, you know, he puts the art. Oh, I love those, yeah. During the credits at the end, they're fantastic. Like the storyboard, beautiful pieces of artwork. I'm just a big fan. I think the offshoot series, uh, yeah, they put the prequel and sequel movies to shame. Okay, so we've had Mandalorian, we've had Mandalorian 2, and we've had Book of Boba Fett, which is kind of Mandalorian 3, wasn't it? Yeah, there was crossover, definitely. We haven't even mentioned Baby Yoda, the fact that they went to the island where Luke trained and everything. Exactly. There were moments I was in tears, like seriously. <laughs> to go back and see Luke, to be back in Jabba's palace, all this stuff. I mean, Darth. 
could we see Darth Vader again? This is precious moments where you get to see these guys again. Yeah. Like it's, pr- it's pretty amazing. I and got shivers. With C- CGI with Luke, yeah, like Luke's running along with Grogu on his back doing the training. It's priceless. To go and add to that original stuff is just hats off to him. Brilliant. Okay. And coming up soon is Obi-Wan. Looking forward to that. These are just, to me, adding to the whole Star Wars legacy in a really positive way after, as you said, the whole bunch of shit was piled on top of it, unfortunately. If only John Favreau had been involved earlier and the super nerds. Because, you know, they just pumped out the merch and the games and it's like they're making the movies for games and for merchandise rather than for the fans, which I think they're starting to rectify a little bit. Yeah, and if you do that... The merch will follow. Don't put the merch first, people. Or the Never. video games. Or the video games. Yeah, they come put the after. the story first. Horse before the cart, please. Yeah, so that's, I mean, without giving too much away. Oh, you already told yeah. them that Luke Skywalker's in the ending. You already said that. I think that. you brought that up, didn't you? Uh, I said that we went to these islands. Yeah, the one you just brought uh, if you like the spaceships as well, um, there's some pretty cool uh, Mando. has got some really cool spaceships going on. Yeah, all that stuff's back. And that lady that fixed up his spaceship, she was a cool, cool. A cool new character, wasn't she? The, yeah. the, it's not all flashbacks to old people. Like They brought in characters. Yeah. And Did she say she had sex with a Jawa? She <laughs> did. Time to explore. Wild Kingdom! <laughs> Okay, bro, Wild Kingdom. It's been a while since we've spoken Wild Kingdom, so we're just we're picking a few things out of the news this week. That are, Some interesting developments in the world of science, isn't there? Yeah, I'm always watching watching across for things that pop up on my radar that's especially interesting to chew the fat with Dan and Matt. So I, I listen to a whole bunch of different stuff, and uh, one of them yeah. come up with, I think it's, Things you should know. Listen to that podcast. It's pretty cool. It makes you feel smarter at the end of the day. You know, you get out of your car and you go, wow, I learned something. We've talked about the bees, bees and wasps, haven't we, before? Like, uh, way back. Yeah, you did a section on wasps. And this guy's saying that the queen bee is not really the queen at all. She's like a slave to the other bees. She basically has to just sit there. And, and, and lay eggs and all the worker bees are in charge basically and they're and they're the boss of the of the beehive. And you think the queen bee's basically the queen, but she's not at all. She's just like stuck in this little hole and worker bees just make her just pump out eggs. And the only time she gets to do anything is when she goes to fly and, and have sex with little male drone bees. She has to have like you know, these guys come up, bang, bang, impregnate her. But she's basically a slave to the system, an egg production machine. So that's an interesting would, take. Would you say, though, like in the animal kingdom, normally your goal is to pass on your genes? That's like the end game. So is it not the fact she's a queen because she's got to a point where she can sit back and she just knows her genetic material is doing its business? It, it's her, her prodigy. She wins. Wow. That's an interesting take, isn't it? And what is the... Genetic material of the other ones, like, don't they all come from her? So Yeah, that's what I would have thought. Yeah, with, with all the drones that mate with her, is that just one one's genetic material that goes through? I know with the flying ants, she takes off for a new nest and yeah. only the strongest get to mate with her and set up a new nest, which is very clever in itself. Yeah, when she's flying in the air, they, they kind of, like, Chase her. bang her and, they, and she bangs as many as she can in the air or something, but doesn't she make them all in the first place? We should look. It's, it's a very complicated 
the uh, ins and outs of nesting animals. Okay, like I'm going to make a note. Sorry about yeah. that, Shoot the Fat fans, but I'll, I'll get back to you on it. Ed Galicia, send me a message. Okay. And, yeah, I get your point. She's kind of a prisoner, but what's so great about being a, what did you say, the drone bees? Like, is that such a great the drone, life? They're the, they're the ones that organise it all. But What do they do? Do they have card games and laugh at how they've got her stuck in the chamber and uh, she's pumping out puppies, uh, it's your turn, Jack. Go and see the yeah. old bitch. She's gone. <laughs> Think she's got it made. Look at us, boys. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she's got it sussed. Let's let's just say there's not many good jobs in the whole queen, <laughs> the whole the whole bee community. <laughs> there's not a lot of good gigs. I just I always think, why wouldn't you just go rogue if you were one of them? Surely you just go. No, I'm not having a part of this. I'm going to go and just hang out and live and get my own pollen and. Go what do you do with your pollen? You're going to like <laughs> <laughs> make my own little mini crappy nest. One hexagon. I don't and feed know, your yeah. honey to no one. Like, what the hell? It's, there's yep. no job there. But... No, you'd soon realise you had no purpose in life <laughs> and you'd probably be killed by other bees. They're amazing animals, though. I always save them from the pool and put, you know, they don't sting you when you save them from them drowning. I'm yet to be stung. So don't be afraid of them, people. Now we'll get heaps of stings. Fascinating. It would be worth a bit of research. Ants and bee communities. You know, it's all chemical communication that they do. Bees do the little dance to talk to each other about where the latest pollen stash is. Quite incredible. Yep, I think they're fully evolved, like right up there next to uh, monkeys and octopus. Okay, now this next thing that come across my screen, like something I noticed in uh, between episodes was... These guys who are putting harnesses on magpies. Did you did you read anything about this, Dan? Like, uh, I, thought I did this see this. Something that you'd, you'd really like. Uh, I, lo- so, I love the effort that went into making these harnesses. So they're, they're, they're putting little harnesses on to record what the magpies were doing and everything. But straight away they noticed the harnesses they put on like were, were getting removed and just chucked on the ground. And they looked at... And found out that the uh, the magpies were like teaming up. They didn't like the harnesses, and so they were helping each other get the harnesses off them and pulling them. The little team of magpies were just, I guess, it's their family unit, isn't it? Because they're they're quite strong in their little clan. They were, basically, every harness just got taken off in no time. Yeah, and and birds without harnesses on were helping birds that had harnesses, so they mm. they were helping each other out, even though it wasn't tit for tat. And they'd train those birds to like come back to get. Wi-Fi recharging of their little battery packs and they'd gone to all this massive effort but the one thing they hadn't thought about the one variable was teamwork and they underestimated the magpies social game they didn't want to be wearing harnesses another yep. tick good there. big win for the maggie okay something else that uh, come across my desk I'm holding a bit <laughs> I yeah. could just see you on your mahogany desk shuffling papers and incomes, you know, your secretary. Oh, I just got this, Matt. Uh, I want about to have a look at. octopus farming, Matt. And you have to look at this. And, yeah, I've got these big water papers about it. But oh, in God. Spain. I don't like the sound of this. Yeah, in octopus Spain. It should be free. But in Spain, they're like having octopus farms and they're breeding them in, in-house and they're keeping them in like, large quantities and growing them up. But the octopuses are not interested, in it, you know, and they're and they're fighting in the system, and they're they're eating each other, and they're self mutilating. Oh, that is yeah. not they're not at all suited to be living in this environment. And like animal societies are kind of saying, you know, these creatures are too clever to be kept like that. They're too smart. They're not. It's not a humane 
Can you use humane for animals? Humane? Yeah, there's not a better word for it, but you do talk about inhumane to animals. It it's, doesn't make sense, though, does it? It's kind of an oxymoron because that's human. In, um, in, 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 in animane. Yeah. <laughs> so that, They that, need stimulation, obviously. They need to hunt and gather and build and disguise all the stuff that they do in the wild. Mate, you know, the challenge of finding a mate and defending your den. Like, they would be the worst animals to have, you know, like a chook factory sauce. Yeah, so people are totally against it and they're saying that it's it's not, you're not allowed to do it. And it's, it's kind of like a concentration camp, you know, for humans, yeah. you know. and uh, Horrendous. Yeah, so. I'm surprised they're turning on each other and themselves, going crazy. So Spain, stop it. Just stop it right yeah. now, mate. We don't, we don't need that at all. Listeners who are, uh, you know, keen followers of The Chew would remember when I talked about Doug, the potato. Can you remember Doug the potato, Dan? Uh, not this again. I thought this was a fizz of this story. It kind of fell flat for me. This stupid New Zealand guy who accidentally grew a giant potato. Small potatoes. The giantest potato in the world. Hello. The giantest potato in the world. Accidentally, he left it under some hay or something. Forgot about it. Yeah. Unfortunately, they DNA. Oh, no. They DNA tested it. Oh, no, Doug. Doug was not a potato. He was a giant gourd tuber, whatever that is. Oh, no one wants fried gourd, fish and gourd. Gourd tuber, <laughs> some sort of other type of underground growing vegetable. and uh, Crinkle cut gourd, people. They're not good. I've tried uh, crinkle cut gourd. Unfortunately, Shit. the 7.8 kilo Doug potato bow, bow. was not, not the world record. They lost the world record. The world record sent them a letter saying, sorry, yeah, it's not a potato. And now the record's back at England, 4.9 kilo potato. Well Real done potato. To- Terence Worthington with your 7.4. Uh, yeah, I thought that story had no legs, and now it's just no, not even got a potato. It's a gourd. It was a good story. Can't do mashed gourd. I wonder what gourd tastes like. Shit out. So Probably imagine. just like fucking potato. It's just like the same thing. That's a good segue, bro, for uh, my thing that came across my desk to do with DNA, and that's the exciting news that they're, they're throwing around that maybe they could bring back the Tassie Tiger. We've spoken numerous times about the Tassie Tiger and what a great pet it would be. Marsupial, blamed for killing sheep and then wiped out in Tasmania. The government put a scalp on it for its hides, but and they wiped it out in no time. But it could come back. Now, there's a lot of debate whether this is fanciful or science. They've got this thing called a CRISPR. C-R-I-S-P-R, some sort of antonym that I think is quite funny. Like an air CRISPR. fryer. Like an air fryer. Yeah, but it's a DNA cut and paste tool. So you can cut and paste the DNA together. So you find things. It presents a way for scientists to recreate the genetic code of a species long thought extinct. It's The technology was at the heart of a proposal to bring back the woolly mammoth by mm-hmm. 2027. This was led by a biotech company called Colossal. So that, this is where it first came from, uh, the woolly mammoth. Four to six years, they wanted to have a woolly mammoth back in the Arctic in herds. And they're going to release them in the Arctic, I suppose. That's yeah. the space there's any, yeah. Yeah, um, they can not feed a few people. There's no humans there or anything, so like uh, they could mm. be free, I guess. 
chopper flights to the Arctic and what's seeing like herds of mammoth roaming free. Would polar bears? Would polar bears? So there would be polar bears. I guess that's like lions don't go for elephants and giraffe. It's just too much hard work. Baby yeah, they mammoths. might target the odd baby. You know, and you could pay big bucks and put on your little hide underpants and go and spear one with your mates. You know, like a bucks party. <laughs> you go to the Arctic and hunt mammoth. Yeah, I'm sure they'd protect them for a little while before you had to spear them at night, yeah. Yeah, no. Maybe you could ride one, like, you know, how they in Bali, in Thailand, how you get on the elephant and ride into the jungle. Ride a mammoth through Antarctic would be pretty cool. That would be. Nice and warm, wouldn't it? Like, cosy, you know, that woolly fur. I wonder if they could tame them and, like, shear them. Imagine the clothes you could make out of it. The wool product. That'd be an interesting job. A sheer mammoth. They're looking at the thylacine. Obviously, they've gone, okay, well, maybe we can do this with the Tasmanian tiger. So in September, the company announced it had received $15 million in funding. And this is down in Tassie. Some philanthropist has pumped in all this cash, and they're going to attempt tiger as well. So you have to decode it first. So bringing back the species, you need to understand the DNA code from start to finish. So that's the first thing. And they've done it. They've actually totally decoded it, and they know exactly what code is required for a thylacine. So then they can get the cells from a related species and use the CRISPR to change that code. So, for instance, the Tassie tiger is related to another marsupial species called the Dunart. It's like a mouse. It's called the Dunart, and it turns is that out its Dunart. closest relation, Dunart. Yeah. It's yep. be like a numbat or something. They look the same, isn't it? Yeah, well, sometimes it's not to do with looks that much. Like a pig is the closest to humans and, you know, we look more like monkeys, don't we? So the Dunart's pretty much the closest thing to a thylacine of any living marsupial. So you get the Dunart cells, start with that, and then you can edit in all the DNA differences to turn it into a Tasmanian tiger. So it's kind of like turning... The, the analogy they use, I don't like it, but they were saying it's like getting Harry Potter the Sorcerer's Stone and turning it into Harry Potter, the Chamber of Secrets, like by changing some of the words and character sentences, but you've still got, you know, the general story. But basically they take the Dunard's DNA and snip some bits out and put other bits in until you've got the full genome of the Tassie tiger. And then I guess you, um, you know, you get a couple and hopefully breed them. It was science fiction, Jurassic Park sort of stuff, but now they're actually being out there with this CRISPR, cut and paste DNA into... But wait, that's theories! So they get the whole DNA of the Tassie tiger, they put it into a Dunart to make it get born. Dunart doesn't sound very big for some reason. Doesn't provide any DNA, just... Carries the baby. Carries the baby to birth. And then they'd need to make another one with different DNA, slightly, so that there wouldn't be inbred. You can't just oh, keep so the, the same one. So it sounds like science fiction, but someone's pumping a lot of money in it. They want to see it. So, And a lot of greenies are actually coming out, naturalists, and saying, don't do it. That's silly. It's dead. It's gone. Move on. Spend your money on protecting species that we're, at the moment, just about to kill. But I quite like it. I think the Tassie tiger got a really rough deal with a stupid government that actually put a bounty on its head. And they were being used as pets. They were friendly animals. So I say give it a crack. Me too. I say we made mistakes. You know, let's not bring Tyrannosaurus Rex back. Let's just yeah. bring these little creatures back. Yeah, I think the rise of the marsupial would be good to see. You know, we're starting to look at 
you know, reintroducing a lot of marsupials and protecting them. They're the ones that have really copped it, the marsupials, from, uh, you know, dogs, cats and other mammals. So maybe we could bring something back to them. Some other good news, bro, in the week was that humpback whales have been taken off the endangered list. doom and gloom like about animals but that was really good news to hear that humpbacks they're still putting up with a lot of pollution and noise pollution and that sort of stuff but the protection of them is you know they're, they're actually off the endangered list Woohoo! i'm gonna go to hunt one tonight ladies and gentlemen this is sports alert sports alert sports alert yeah so we we're mentioning patsy earlier on and how she's heading up to a better place and she's in good company, bro, heading up there because uh, the great man. I don't know if you were going to talk about Warney. You had a good thing where you put your balls out for Warney. We bagged him last episode, <laughs> it must be said. Just yeah. go back and listen to the prior episode. But, but we were bagging his commentating. He was a bit, you know, but even that, you could look at it and go, he got the best out of Starkey by criticising him. You know, maybe there was method in his madness. Looking back at the guy, he was incredible, wasn't he? You know, you can't but admire the fella. Yeah, totally agree. And uh, you especially went pretty hard at him in that episode. (laughs) (laughs) You were quick to agree with me. Tragic, tragic uh, timing by you. He's kind of like one of the great Australians now. Yeah, we hit him up pretty hard. He should always be remembered as one of our great Australian sportsmen. Not so much because his sporting achievements, because let's not forget that he was a massive wicket taker and like always a, a game winner. Yeah, you know he brought leg spin back into the game of cricket. You know he revived it, which is an incredible thing for the cricket. But he was a lad. Yeah, he played it up, and he went out with Elizabeth Hurley, man. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, he met Jordan. You know, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, the Queen, Elton John loves him. Pie in one hand, cigarette in the same hand. Coke in the other, turning up to training. Tubby Taylor looks at him and goes, who the hell's this guy? You know, he was surrounded by guys like Steve Waugh and, and Mark Taylor. You know, they're all-time legend, serious cricketers. And he just, they all look back and say, I, the best thing about my cricket was that I got to play with Shane. Warney. Those guys just totally respect him. And he was a lad. He was a larrikin. But what's come out now is just what a generous bloke he was, whether it was signing autographs, people lining up around the streets. He'd stay and sign them all. And, you know, he'd just get people on the phone that he knew were struggling. And great, great fellow. And a true Aussie legend. And when you're watching him bowl, it wasn't boring ever, was it? Like, every bowl you're watching was just, like, attacking and incredible. Watching Shane Warne play cricket, you know, it was a privilege, wasn't it? And and we're lucky that we... uh Grew up with him you know, in the team when we were, we were watching Australian cricket. Yeah, you know, I mean, who knows he, when another girl come along like that? That's right. You know, people talk about Bradman and um, Coley, but Warney's different. He captured the imagination of everyone because he was relatable and a larrikin and made mistakes and he was just, a, you know, the, the mullet and the bogan but, and a big heart. Whereas Coley's kind of like a king in India and Bradman, you know, a little bit of a quiet sort of introverted guy so warney kind of has stepped he's a superstar he's he's the superstar of cricket really he had so much more to offer as well didn't he like going forward you know at at 52 when he died like it's he would have gone on commentating his controversial comments every now and then but 
you know, you want that. Yeah, which we love. Again, he wasn't boring in the box, was he? Like, he made everyone talk and argue and had his opinions. Yeah, I I will miss him. As much as I bagged him and said his shit (laughs) in commentary, he actually got us talking and I quite enjoyed the way he would stick it to anyone. But he'd help out spinners from Sri Lanka, India, wherever. Like They love him in India. Didn't matter if it was... He was fiercely Australian competitor, but he helped anyone around the world. Very intelligent. You know, a really smart guy. He had a musical about him at one point. Can you remember that? I'm trying my best to be sweet and domestic. I'm doing the good husband thing. Try to act stable while reading a label. But the SMSs keep flooding in. Simone doesn't notice she's focused on groceries. Squeezing a small mandarin. So I sneak a peek and my knees they go weak. What an SMS I'm in. It's nothing physical, it's strictly digital So I'm not cheating like both of the guys Now when a girl presses send, I believe in the end It's impolite not to reply I've got an erection in the frozen food section Some old patients now wearing feet I love swapping numbers with scrubbers in clubs But now what an SMS I'm in yeah, I do remember that. Shane Warne, the musical. I mean, like, oh you have to be pretty good. Yeah, you know you made it. Lily, of course, has a story with him. I, you never met Shane, did you? I'm sad to say I never did. He's the kind of guy I would have gone up to, though, and said, good on you, Warney, because, you know, you just how could you not? You feel like you know him. Have you heard this story of Olivia's, our sister Lily? She was, I don't know why she was in a lift. Maybe they were in a hotel, because I know she got married at Cottesloe, and there's not many lifts in Cottesloe. No, they're in a city. They're in a city staying at some place. And that's Doing where the whole an Australian cricket team was there as well. Yep, they must have been playing at the Wacker. Yeah. But she gets in the lift in the elevator with Melissa, our other sister, of course, and Warney's in there. Warney and Langer was no, who was it? Warney and yeah, maybe it was Langer. I think she said who it was, the other guy, but it was definitely Warney. And he's like, Oh, he looks at her. Healy, I think. Oh, yes, Ian. Ian Healy, who's a bit of a cracker too. They look at her in her wedding dress and Warney's like, oh, what are you doing getting married? Because, of course, she's very pretty, my sister, and he didn't want to see her waste her life. She turned to him and said, and I, and God bless her for this, she said, no, I'm a stripper. <laughs> and Warney and uh, Ian both laughed at that because uh, that was right up there, Ali. So good on you, Lily. You hit Shane with a zinger. He would have respected that. Yeah, that's a pretty good brush with fame. Good work, all. Vale Warney, hats off to you, mate. Kid of that with Dan and Matt. Apologises for everything we say. We, tr- we retract Dan's dickhead comments. And Olivia, she'd lined up an interview. He was coming in on season three, so that's a shame. But anyway, mm-hmm. we'll have to get someone else. Maybe maybe we can get Henners. Because I hear Henners, he's on he's on track to become uh, something of a legend on the cricket field. He got he picked up a great catch, bro. Talk us through that catch. He uh, got moved out to a place where uh, they thought the ball would never go, basically, because uh, he was just a new guy in their team. And uh, this is Matthew's son, Henry, by the way. Young Henry. And this guy was slogging it all over the field. Sixes, fours, whatever. Henry got put out deep. The game was in the last final overs. Runs to get. And uh, the guy fully slogged it out straight above the bowl's head. And who was there? But Henry caught it. The guy was dismissed. They went on to win the game. But it was a really hard, low, flat 
ball and put his hands up to the catch. And that would have tipped him over the edge to win the coach's award, I reckon, that catch. Maybe he, yeah. he had a good season. He toiled hard all season. Yeah, got the coach's award. pretty hard, hard for a guy just coming in for, like, his first season. But uh, the team got around him. That was pretty good. Good job, Henners. Well done. My son also got a similar award from – I was the coach, though, and he got the uh, most improved award for my basketball team. And but not yeah, the coach's very, award? No, there was another guy who kind of fit the bill for coach's award. But Austin was – he. Was, I was really proud of him. He didn't give me any grief, trained his ass off. Worked really hard and was a massive, massive player in our team in the end. Really? We took an Austin Turner here. We work Austin at our house. We have a uh, an ongoing gag about you, Dan, about Uncle, right. Uncle, Uncle Darts. Like, uh, it's been going for a while and, like, did you hear that? <laughs> I can hear everything they're doing. Boys, what are you doing in there? Oh, he's putting the dishes in the dishwasher. It was the first time in his life. Crockery is probably the worst thing for a podcast. Crockery and young men. we got a coffee machine now, so it's lucky to not take... Oh, yeah. Back to um, what's this ongoing gag, bro? Right, so like uh, in our house, we have some teenage brains, you know, where they kind of like uh, don't think things through when they ask a question, you know. So like I'm going, oh, we're having a barbecue tonight. You know, they say, what's for dinner? I'm going, oh, we're having a barbecue tonight. They go, oh, who's cooking it? And I'm like... Uncle Dan's cooking it. He's coming up from Secrets and he's cooking up the barbecue and then he's going back home. And like that, oh, all right. Really? And I'm like, no. Uncle Dan's not coming up to cook the barbecue. I'm cooking the freaking barbecue. And then they say other stuff like, uh, we got to go to York week on the weekend. Like, uh, oh, who's driving us there? I said, Uncle Dan's coming up and driving us all the way to York. Really? No, fucking Uncle Dan's not driving us to fucking York, you idiots. Like, <laughs> now they do it back to me as well. Like, who's doing this? Uncle Dan's doing this. And like, so you just like uh, this constant ongoing. Uncle Butler. Yeah. Of it. One of these days I'll have to just front up. Yeah. Rock up and take your Barbie out of the blue. Just to keep him honest. <laughs> We've got to clean the pool. Well, who's cleaning the pool? <laughs> Uncle Dan, look, have a look out there. Oh, there he is, cleaning the pool. G'day, fellas. Just help us with his bag of salt. Seeps. We always mention a bit of curios on this show. There was quite a funny curios incident. You were talking about how his singles career might take off now that him and uh, Kokonakis have got their act together, and you were dead right. He actually had stepped it right up, nearly beat Nadal. No one else has managed to beat him this year, and he nearly knocked him off at Indian Wells. He didn't. But something very funny happened at Indian Wells against Nadal. He lost his shit, so he hasn't learned to control himself. He smashed a racket, and he was serving, and some guy some guy called out some shit to him about how his serving was going between two serves, and he lost the game, double-faulted, and that was pretty much match over. He never really recovered. But after that, he went up to the guy, and he said, and he pointed out Ben Stiller in the crowd. Ben Stiller was watching because it was in the U.S., and he said, <laughs> He points to Ben Stiller and says, do I tell him how to act? No. So don't tell me how to fucking serve. And Ben Stiller's sitting there like, oh, what the hell's going on? <laughs> He's been dragged into it. So I just thought that was classic curios. No one's safe. He picks out Ben Stiller in the crowd and makes an example of him. Well, Barty retired. We were talking about that last night. That was a bit of a shock. Talking about tennis. Crazy. Ash Barty just pulled the pin. I Ben's, thought she uh, must be like 30-something, but she's 25. Yeah. 25, top of her game, like been world number one for over a year, wins Wimbledon, wins Aussie Open, pulls the pin. We could kind of tell the writing was on the wall because she sort of said, oh, I'm 
I'm not, my body's not right to play in Indian Wells, the American lead up tournament. If you're not ready to go when you're world number one and you've just won two Grand Slams, then, you know, we probably should have looked into that and thought maybe that's it. She's just buying a bit of time, doesn't want to deal with it just yet. Went out on a massive high, won the Australian Open. But when does your career start? Like, I mean, I didn't even fully start working till I was probably 25. Like, and she's retiring now. Like, what's she going to do for 75 freaking years? <laughs> It's a good point, but I guess, you know, you, you can't get much better, can you? I guess you, you crack you on can. in tennis. Yeah. You do what Roger Federer does and you just go, like, just did a major tournament. You go around the world with, a, like, entourage and you have your, your cook and your massage and you, like, just go to the great places in the world and, like, hang out and then you go and slap a few balls around. And well, I'm with you, bro. I think that's, for most people, that would be seem to be the go. But for her, you know, she's... An indigenous woman. Family is very important. Home is very important. She doesn't obviously like it that much, the touring and the, the spotlight and all that. Yeah, and I guess being at the very top level is much more stressful than people understand, I guess. I mean, the fact that she not got that Australian Open, as good a time as any to get out. I'm hoping she doesn't do a turnaround in about two years and go, oh, whoops. I'm I reckon she could, like, do a turnaround in two years, quit again, do a turnaround in four years, quit again. Party's probably going to, you know, have kids and blow out and just chill out and relax you'd have to keep pretty fit if you uh, want to make those comebacks you know if you're going to take two years off surely you're going to hit the bakery go down <laughs> see mrs marsh <laughs> down at uh, secret harbor it's quiz time okay it's quiz time everyone get excited i know this is your favorite time don't forget about christmas forget about easter Quiz time and shoot a fat down a map. Forget about your birthday as well, or even Father's Day. Mother's Day's coming up, Dan. You got anything for Mother's Day? It is, yeah. I've um, booked a place. Bit of a surprise. Let's see how it goes. I was actually booking it online the other day, and Sky came in and told me to get my face out of the fucking computer and come and help her. I was like, oh, that's, that's ironic that what I'm doing here. So she doesn't know that yet. I bit my tongue on that one. Have a good story to tell when you uh, give her the day spa. So, Dan, I've done some general knowledge because you're a bit of guru on Star Wars, as everyone would have learned over this journey of this episode, episode seven, right? We're on episode seven season Correct, two. yeah. You know, Dan and I used to spend a lot of time with Star Wars figures. Can you remember um, collecting the coupons from the back of the the packs? You know, we'd, we'd get like a hammerhead action figure and then on the box you'd be able to cut out a little coupon and, yep. and we'd send them away to uh, Mattel. Was it Mattel? Yep, absolutely. And if you sent three away in the envelope, they'd send you a, a Jawa. Yep, and you couldn't have too many Jawas or too many Stormtroopers. I think you, you could keep collecting and get more, but I'd always just fold after I had three and get a Jawa. But, yeah, I had quite a few Jawas, a few Stormtroopers. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I used to love – mums had their little kid's shop in uh, Cottesloe there and I had a boutique – Ted Bear, mm. and I'd just save up my money and go to Trisha's Toys around the corner there and dream about the next figurine I'd get. That was all I cared about, saving for figurines. I didn't have many spaceships. I had a few. I had like the um, orange double one that they used to drive around in the Cloud City. Yeah, Land Lando, Lando Calarusian, Cloud City, orange. They were terrible. And uh, but did, that was. Did yeah. you have the cantina set up? Yeah, I did. I had the um, a few of those. Like a, I had the Hoth uh, snow battle mm -hmm. scene and the Jabba the Hutt. 
I actually had Jabba and his little um, trapdoor. So I like those things. But we used to set up like uh, snow scenes and Tatooine scenes with sand or beanbag beads. And it's not like we played with them as much as just set them up. And, um, yeah, set them up and just left them there, didn't we? Kind yeah. Of. My favourite figurine, funnily enough, was the Gamorrean Guard. I, I love oh. I had two of those. They were really good. They had a little uh, sort of woolen smock and that battle axe. And that was the, the pig guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they actually make an appearance in um, Book of Boba Fett too. Oh, he, he takes them on as their own, his own yeah. guards, and yeah. they, they hold their own, don't they? I think absolutely. Did, did they? One of them dies or something. Well, they went off a cliff at the end, but we'll see. They might make a return. Oh, I think he went into the, heal, the healing bath, didn't they? Didn't one of them go in his healing bath? No, yeah, it was called Vanth. Okay. It's only room for one, bro. Those Gamorians, they're disposable, but we didn't see them splatter, so I reckon they'll be back. Because I think they oh, had a bit of a cult, yeah. cult, cult following, to be honest. Get on with it. Yes, get on with it. But yeah, they were a good figurine. You know, you'd pay the same for them as a Jawa, and you'd always feel a bit ripped off by the amount of plastic you actually got for a Jawa. So that was why we sent in the coupons. It was a good idea. Let's get into this quiz. Everyone's waiting and thinking, what are these guys talking about? Get on with it. All right, here comes quiz. Okay, quiz question number one. And I've got a few um, multiple choice here as well. So Yeah, well, that helps. I'm not a super nerd of Star Wars. I love it. I don't know everything. Do you know? Which actor was in every Star Wars movie up to date? Every Star Wars movie. So we're talking nine films. Mm-hmm. Jesus. I'm going to go with Lando Calarusian's character, Kyle Weathers. No, you're wrong. It was Anthony yeah. Daniels, the guy who plays C-3PO. The droids don't count, bro. Just ask Mandalorian. Droids don't count. <laughs> Okay, so that's a zero on that one. This is question two. How old was Yoga? Fifteen thousand years ago, a yogi appeared in the upper regions of Himalayas. Nobody knew where he came from. His antecedents were completely unknown. So people gathered around him because he was such a phenomenal presence. <laughs> Yoda. Yoda, not yoga, Yoda. <laughs> You're going to give me your multi, but I'm going to go for a... Th I reckon it was 306. Okay, number one, 600. Jeez. Number two, 700. Number three, 800. Number four, 900. Okay, I'm going to go for 700. Ah! 900. He's 900. Far out. Grogu's... He might be 80 or something like that. I'll check back on me with that one, fans. Do you, want, do you want to see Grogu coming back again in the next ones, or are you over Grogu? No, I like Grogu. He's awesome. Mm. Bring him back. But he's already, like, yeah, 80 years old or something, and he's a baby. He's, so. he's quite cheeky as a, a little prick. Yeah, he's like. good. He eats a lot. He eats people's precious things. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, how many parasects did it take Han Solo to make the Kessel Run? Oh, that's a very good question. Is it Kessel one, run. eight parasects? Two, 10 parasects, three, 12 parasects, or four, 14 parasects to do Jeez. the Kessel Run. Kessel Run in 12. 12 parasects. You got it right. 12 Yes. Parasics. Thank God for that. I'm on the board. I'd like to see the Kessel Run. <laughs> and how long is a parasect? Okay, number four. We're going, you're one out of three so far. Who freed Princess Leia 
from the chains at Jabba the Hutt's palace. Well, it definitely wouldn't have been Han because he was struggling with his carbon-frozen eyeballs. Good call. Wouldn't have been Chewy. Look, I would imagine it would, would have been Luke. Question number five. Which actor turned down the role of Han Solo? Oh. One. Do we have a mm-hmm. – Robert Redford. Two, Robert De Niro. Three, Mel Gibson. Four, Al Pacino. Imagine Pacino with Han Solo. Imagine him. Say hello to my little friend. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go for Robert Redford. No, Al Pacino. It was Pacino. Mm Mm-hmm. My God, that would have ruined. It never would have taken off. There would have been no holiday special. You, you know why they froze Han Solo in Empire Strikes Back? Carbon frozen. He wanted a pay rise. Yeah, he was getting too big for his boots, and they thought he might. He didn't really want to come back and do Return of the Jedi. Oh, because he's probably doing um, Indiana Jones and stuff. Yeah, so he was. It was very clever. They were like, "Well, let's freeze him, and we'll see what happens if we can." Hook him in and we'll unfreeze him. If not, he stays frozen. He's just an electrician, apparently, on, on set. Yeah, or carpenter, making wood sets. Someone, that guy's kind of handsome. Let's get him in. It was classic, isn't it? Right place at the right time. And then had the gall to say he wasn't going to do the third movie. What a prick. Jesus, Harrison. Count your lucky stars. And came back for a few. I am enjoying this scene. Get on with it. Number six. Padme Amadelia was queen of what planet? Jeez. I don't know. It was a bit misom, 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 I don't know, planet. Nabu. Nabu. I thought you might get that one, Nabu. Nabu. She's the queen of Nabu. Right, question seven. What does at-at stand for? At-at. All-terrain attack. All-terrain attack transport or all-terrain something transport. Very close. Very cool, actually, and very cool when they were in Rogue One, like on in a Hawaii type setting, wasn't it? Like when they were walking, like in not in the snow. Nah, I don't know. All terrain, something, something. Armored transport. Ah! Very good, very yeah. good, Dan. You almost get that one, I reckon. What part? Which is question eight. What part of the body did Luke cut off the Wampa in Empire Strikes Back with his lightsaber? What part of his body? Well, ironically, he lost his hand, and he also cut off the Wampa's hand as well. Yeah, I'll give you that. His arm. His whole arm. Yeah. yeah. His whole arm, yeah. The most famous person to have lost a hand in a movie would have to be Luke, wouldn't it? That there is Kundalini. And Kundalini wants his hand back. Okay, question nine. And this is in the uh, later movies. What kind of vehicle did Ray... Living. Yeah, myself. okay. So she was in the desert. She was a scavenger. It was either a Jawa transport or an Atat. I think it was an Atat. Coming back here a bit, I think. You're doing all right now. Question 10. What were Luke's aunt and uncle's job way back in uh, Star Wars, The New Hope, on Tatooine? Farmers. The farmers. Or wa- the farmers. Yeah. What did they farm? Did they farm water? Water. Moisture farmers. Okay. Question 11. What odds does C-3PO give Han of navigating the asteroid field? Good question. Are you going to give me multi on this one? You want multi? Go on early crow, 568,000 to one. (laughs) (laughs) 
Number one, 40,000 to one, 3,020 to one, 959 to one, or 400,025 to one? Uh, I'm going to go answer two there. 3,720 to one. Yes. That's what it was. Well done. Correct. Yes. How did he guess that? Yeah, that sounded right. You don't have to do this to impress me. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. Good job, Dan. That was pretty good. Question 12. Who built C-3PO? Luke. Luke Skywalker. No. Anakin. Oh, shit. That was stupid. They went and bought those two droids. Sorry, fans. I'll let you down there. And this one will come back to the challenge that I have. What day is Wookiee Life Day? <laughs> have I got a choice here? It's something like Harmony Day. No, what date? What is the actual date? Oh, the date? Jesus. Is Wookiee Day. Of Wookiee Life Day. Wookiee Life Day. So there's a day for freaking everything, isn't there? If there's a day, Wookiee Life Day, considering there is no Wookiee Life. Uh, I'm going to go with the... It's the 8th of August. November 17, Dan. Ah, damn it. Put in your diaries, people. November 17, Wookiee Life Day. I'm lucky to get my wife's birthday correct, by the way. I was never going to get that one. Bonus question here. What is Chewie's dad called in the show? Itchy, Malia, or Lumpy? Uh, Lumpy. That's correct. Itchy's the, the son, and Malia yep. is the wife. Is the wife. Quite disturbing. <laughs> Very That's it for 20, 25 minutes, people. I check. I suggest you check it out on YouTube, the Star Wars Holiday Special. You'll be depressed within two minutes and then suicidal Completely after 30. perplexed by why they made it. <laughs> but we certainly suggest you get out there and watch the offshoot shows, Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett. Well, I have one more question before you, yeah. before you wind me up. Get on with it. Yes, get on with it. You've done horribly here as a Star Wars aficionado. <laughs> Number 14. Is Earth ever mentioned in Star Wars? Oh, that's a great question. Is there any given Earthlings you, in Star Wars? Given that you've mentioned that, I'll be leaning towards yes, but I really can't remember that. Earth. No, nah, I'm going to go with no. No is correct. It's a galaxy far, far away, and it's a whole different time, and there's no Earthlings, and there's no mention of Earth. No one ever goes to Earth. No one even knows about the blue mud ball we live on. The fact that that's a fact makes it really disappointing when they had a NASCAR-style commentary for the later movie. The pod races. The pod races. Like, the guy was – it was a NASCAR American call, and it's like, why why try to rip off the Earth when there's no connection? That wouldn't have happened. Stupid. Even the accents. You know, you got to try to keep a kind of flat accent, no blatantly American or blatantly English. That that should be avoided when you're doing these Star Wars movies, which I think they did really well until they started blowing it in the, the movies we've mentioned. It would be great to see more of Darth Maul. General Grievous was really cool, but they kind of just butchered that as well. I don't know what they're going to do if they can go back and salvage some of that crap. It, hopefully Favreau sticks around and does a few more and uh, who cares if they don't do movies because these TV shows are so good. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so 
Five out of 12. Pretty good. Five out of 12? That sounds like a fail. 14, actually. Failed my Star Wars quiz, but they were quite tricky. How'd you go at home, listeners? Falling asleep. That brings us to the end of episode seven, bro. We're jam-packed episode. We, you know, we've got a lot still to cover. We're going to talk a bit in possibly next episode, maybe about some retro arcade games or something. Yeah, like sneak peek, guys. Sneak peeks. Remember Gallagher? Well, people, thanks for sticking in there with us. Back on our schedule now. You know, we've uh, had a bit of hiatus. I know you've been hanging out for the podcast, but we're back and we're better than ever, right, Dan? That's it. See you for episode eight, people. So we'll see you next time on Chew the Fat with Dan and Matt. We can send you, I told you. Help the vibrations of the universe inside of me. Help me beat the shit out of my knees.